0: When I uh, planted new community, I was told um, by a couple of people that if you pastor a church, that's going to talk a lot about issue of race and racial reconciliation and racial justice. Your church isn't going to grow. And I said, so you have a choice. You could either be committed to be a multi-ethnic kingdom community and talk about issue of race, justice, and not have a church that will grow. Or you could not do that and have a church that will grow. Um, I've wrestled with that for 14 years. I've wrestled with that for 14 years, uh, so much so that I keep hoping that I stop wrestling with it. But every time we as a church come to this place where we talk about issue of race and justice and gospel and kingdom, I struggle inwardly. I struggle inwardly. And I'm going to share with you what I struggle with. I struggle inwardly with thoughts like this. So after this sermon series again, there's going to be people who are going to leave the church. Because they're going to say, I don't like talking about that. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't think it's part of the gospel. What does it have to do with Christianity? So on and so forth. And I would be lying to you if I stood up here and said, I don't care if people leave. I would be lying to you. I care. I care. (sighs) But I had to decide long ago. That if I'm gonna be a pastor and be in ministry, I'd rather be faithful than popular. Come on. So, it's pretty simple for me. We're on the sermon series, you know, but if, by the way, can I just, this is how insecure I am with stuff like this, right? So, the whole week I'm going, people aren't going to show up, you know, it's going to be empty. And as I look out, I'm like, oh, I see some empty pews. And immediately, you know, in my mind, because Satan goes, see, you got to stop talking because people aren't going to stop showing up. And all these crazy thoughts. Like, they're not saying, and I, pray for me, will you? Okay? I'm hopelessly pathetic. Pray for me. <laughs> what? If you're new, we're talking about our sermon series "United by Faith: Being a Reconciled Community." I want to show you a graph that a good friend of mine, Michael Emerson, who spoke last week, uh, posted on his Facebook. This is what divided by faith looks like: 2016 presidential elections. Do you see the guy? So, 65 percent of white evangelicals in America are voting for Donald Trump 10% for Clinton combine all the other ethnicities and 62% it's almost inverse you think (laughs) yeah If this election has done anything, it's tore open any naive notion or idea that we live in a racially harmonious, reconciled country. If this election season has done anything, it's tore open decades and decades of deep-seated racial injustice, racial oppression. And the interesting thing for me as a pastor and as a Christian is, I am, I am actually observing the non-Christian world watching the church and going, do they have an answer? What do they think? And the crazy thing for me is, the church does have an answer, yes? The church does have an answer for the question, can anything be done? Can anything be done in this seemingly hopeless situation that we face? as a country. Can anything be done to bridge, to heal, to reconcile these deep-seated ethnic racial divides? The church has an answer. We know this. We know this. We know the church has an answer. But the problem is, But if the church is ethnically and racially divided, how does it heal a ethnically, racially divided country? If the church is ethnically and racially divided, how in the world does the church be an agent of healing and transformation? See, the crazy thing for me is that what we're talking about is not a side add-on thing. This is about the gospel, yes? Because the gospel, in its purest form, we said is about reconciliation. The gospel is about reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, underline that word, all things, things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The gospel is about reconciling. Reconciliation literally means to put things back together to right wrong relationships and we say this in our church over and over and over again, and it's reflected in our mission statement. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was not just to, listen, reconcile us to God, but it was to reconcile sinful humanity to each other and to put everything that was marred because of sin in creation back together. The gospel isn't Jesus died so he can go to heaven, full stop. His own words were, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He talked about and preached the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, that it is work and the death and resurrection, that the kingdom, the rule and reign of God will be ushered in where everything that tore apart because of sin will be put back together. In the kingdom of God, our relationship with God will be made right. In the kingdom of God, our relationship with each other will be made right. In the kingdom of God, all of creation will be put back together. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. The challenge for many of us is that we grew up with this truncated gospel. We grew up thinking that the primary aim of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus was to reconcile sinners to God. Full stop. You find that nowhere in Scripture. It's to reconcile all things. Uh, I'm just a... Appetizer for the main course. I'm just an intro for, that's why the you know, this isn't so that when Peter gets tired, he gets to sit on each and one of these chairs. And let's see, there's this morning, you need to hear from the larger body. But before I bring them up, I need to do next five minutes of what reconciliation is and why it's central to the gospel. Let me tell you what reconciliation is not first, okay? And then we'll talk about what it requires. Here's first. Racial reconciliation is not, first one, colorblindness. Jeff, can you put that up there, please? Racial reconciliation is not colorblindness. I know that we live in a culture that sees colorblindness as a virtue. I know you love me when you say, I don't see you as Peter, the Korean age. I see you as Peter. I know what you mean, but the problem is in the kingdom of God, our differences are celebrated and recognized, yeah. not obliterated and ignored. In the kingdom of God, Revelation 5, Revelation 7, check it for yourself. God sees and celebrates. Color, and next week I'm going to talk about how that was God's intention from the very beginning. And I also said a couple of weeks ago colorblindness is not just, it's harmful. Why? Because we live in a country where CEOs, judges, juries, police officers are anything but colorblind. Amen. Secondly, racial reconciliation is not diversity. Diversity is a good thing, but in itself is not reconciliation on the surface. This is so wonderful This is so beautiful, but you know what this is? Do you know what this looks like? Do you know what this looks like on the surface? This looks like a CTA bus on a morning at 8 o'clock People of different race ethnicity sitting in close proximity to each other being anonymous Racial reconciliation doesn't stop at diversity. The church should be more than a sanctified bus or a train. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Being in a multi-ethnic setting and having acquaintances of diverse backgrounds doesn't make you a racial reconciler. It doesn't make us someone who is a kingdom reconciled. The real question someone said of Christian discipleship is not, can I be your brother? But can I be your brother-in-law? Who are my sons and daughters not allowed to marry? Did you hear what I just said? See, diversity is, you're my brother in Christ, you're my sister in Christ. We sing this song together. No, the question is, Who can your son marry? Who can your daughter marry? How deep does it go? Let me put up a question that gets to whether we're even close. Can you identify tangible ways in which you have been fundamentally changed as a direct result of your ongoing interaction with people of different race, ethnicity? Can you sit here and say, because of him, her, them, I have been fundamentally changed because of our ongoing deep relationship. That begins to get us close. So, what racial reconciliation looks like. What does racial reconciliation require? I'm going to be real quick because we're going to cover these for the next three, four Sundays. Here's what racial reconciliation, if that's not what reconciliation is not, here's what racial reconciliation requires, number one. Honest wrestling with history of racial oppression in our country. You cannot understand the current experiences of racial hostility in this country without honestly facing the history of racial oppression. We can't just get over it. What we are experiencing is the fruit of centuries of racial oppression and hostility. People talk about how we live in a post-racial society. Ask any person of color if they think that's true. The residue of racial oppression remains. Just as personally we can't understand our present reality without recognition of our past. Same principle applies to our present national reality. Secondly, racial reconciliation requires cultivating the language and practice of grief and lament. We spent nine weeks on emotionally healthy spirituality. Do you know why? Because the sad state of our modern spirituality is that we often avoid feeling the pain, our own pain. And in the process, we avoid feeling the pain of other people. And when that happens, it's impossible to do the work of reconciliation. We are called to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. But how do you do that when you haven't even wept and mourned your own loss, pain, grief? Third, racial reconciliation requires personal acceptance and appreciation of your racial and ethnic identity. How can you be reconciled to others if you haven't even been reconciled to yourself? Self-hatred of who we are is not a fruit of the Spirit. Well, 14 years, I've met people in our church who honestly shared that they were embarrassed of their racial and ethnic identity. But there's two things that God never does. He never does anything accidental, and God never makes mistakes. Hey. The faster we unapologetically celebrate who God has made you to be, we could move on with the work of reconciliation. Fourth, a deep spirituality of prayer. Do you really think that activism alone is going to heal the racial divide in this country? Do you really think advocacy alone is going to heal the racial divide in this country? Does anybody here naively think that those things alone will heal the racial divide in this country. Ephesians 6, there are powers and principalities beyond flesh and blood. That's at work. Why do I talk about this? If we are not willing to address this spiritually, we have no chance. Can I get an amen? Advocacy is a great thing. Activism is a great thing. But just like Jesus said one time to his disciples, who are trying to cast out a demon, and they couldn't. And he says, this could only come by what? Prayer. Next, racial reconciliation requires growing in awareness of our own implicit racial bias. How many of us grew up in families, family of origin, where our parents were racist? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. Sorry, I, I'm. am sorry. I, I, uh, I. Uh, <laughs> well, I should have. Maybe I should have prayed. Huh? I should have. Sorry about that. So, if you're new to our church, man, you got a glimpse of our church, right? That's like, and. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Oh my gosh, I love I love you guys. I love our church family. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, racist parents. That's where I was. Um, how we view our world has been fundamentally shaped by our family of origin. Have you delved into any of that? Are you even aware? Next. By the way, if you're sitting there going, he's going to talk about all of this in the next three weeks? No, I'm not going to talk all about it. I'm just some of them. So you'll need to come back and find out which of these we'll talk about. Regular confession, repentance, and forgiveness. If you are not good at forgiveness, you can't do this. If you are not good at asking for forgiveness, you can't do this. Because here's the truth about this community, you ready? We offend and get offended all the time. It's normal. It's natural. Can't get away from it. Lastly, and this is just a setup for where we're going today. It requires a deep commitment to listening to others, even when it's hard. The walls that divide us cannot come down until we as a church sit down and really listen to each other. Let me put up a quote and just leave this up there, Jeff, okay? Leave this up there, please. Douglas Sears said, to listen to another's soul may be the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. And I want to be really clear before we proceed. The ones who need to listen first and more often are those who have enjoyed the privileges of power. Racial justice and reconciliation requires self-emptying, Philippians two. And those without power are already empty. This doesn't mean that people of color don't need to listen, but the order is important. So what we're doing today, please come on up, my brothers and sisters. <laughs> what we're doing today is something that we've actually, and there's not a lot of, we've never done this in New like we've done a lot, we've done a lot in our church. A lot of risky different things. But I don't know why we've never done this. We've never. We've had panels. We've had discussions. And we're going to continue to have panels and discussions. But we've never as a church had a panel discussion where I've just had our black brothers and sisters from the church family come up and share from their own personal experience and their perspectives. Um, Please uh, remember what I said before we proceed. The act of listening deeply to the stories of our brothers and sisters is fundamental if we're going to move forward. They uh, have agreed to do this, and I know that some of them didn't want to. So it'd be really good if you guys encouraged our own brothers and sisters by saying thank you, by clapping, and welcome. Yeah. I have some folks who stood and clapped too this is awesome yeah um, so guys I'm sorry I, I'm just going to do this stand over here because I, there's no like room up here So, and you're talking to them and they're talking to you uh, real quick um, as we're dialoguing and as we're listening to each other so on and so forth there's going to be a time when questions from you guys about anything that's spurred on uh, you'll have an opportunity to ask those questions. So here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we so so those green cards in front of you. They're pens, green cards. Okay. If anything is spurred in terms of some of the discussion, okay, write the question down. Write the question down. Just make your way to the back, and uh, we have uh, ushers in the back. Ushers who've kind of helped out today. They'll be standing in the back, and they're going to gather all the questions, and then they're going to bring them down around eleven twenty-five or so. Okay. So again. Okay. Write it down, go to the back, and time allotting. We'll go as, uh, through as many questions as possible. Okay, so because of time, I just want to jump in, okay, you guys? So we were going to intro and who are you, where are you from, and all that stuff, but let's just jump right in, okay? And you could tie in some of your story of where you're from, perhaps, to some of the things you'll share. So a handful of you guys, just start up. Why did you agree to be on this panel? Why did you agree to do this?
1: I'm Buki, I'll say that. I'm Buki, um, Buki Arainka. My full name is Oluwabukola. I was born in Nigeria. Um, we came to the States when I was five and I grew up in California. Uh, I moved to Chicago after undergrad. So although I look like I'm 16, um, <laughs> I'm actually much older than that. And I've been in Chicago for eight years. So that's, that's my story. Um, why agreed to be on the panel? Um, I think it's been really, it's an interesting question because it's a dynamic one. Um, I think, and I can't speak for everyone up here, at some point you were like, you know, my thought was, you know, it'll be really, it'll be good to come and share my experience. And I've definitely gone through several days now saying, why, why did I agree to do this? <laughs> um, And I see on some others' faces that we're all feeling the same way um, because this requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Um, Typically, we do have these conversations in the privacy and safety of our own community, um, and we are very selective about who we choose to share our story with outside of that. So um, thank you for being present, and please, yes, just I invite you to listen openly, um, with an open heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you.
0: Okay. Anybody else? <clears throat> anybody else want to share? Why you agreed to be on the panel? Okay.
2: Uh, I agreed because I think that, and you kind of hit it in one of your points there. I think it's easy for us to think that because we go to a multicultural, multi-ethnic mm-hmm. church, that mm-hmm. uh, we've got diversity on lockdown. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we do it best and we do it well because I talk to black people at my church, so I'm good.
1: (laughs) No way.
2: I don't ask them one question about how do you feel about Mm. black lives or how do you feel about police brutality or any of these other things. I think I'll leave that alone. Going to church with them is just enough. So that's what I agreed to do is so we could talk about it. Thanks, brother. Anybody else?
3: um, I'm Keisha Birch-Sims, and I agreed to be a part of this just to start the conversation. We've got a lot of work to do, and so I wanted to be a part of working towards a solution. Yeah, thank you. Uh,
4: My name is Misty Major. Um, I agreed to do this because I believe in basic human decency. Um, Hmm. I believe in intersectionality. Um, I believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. I believe, and I think that if we as a church are committing to follow Jesus Christ, um, that we can't just not do this. Yeah. Um, our lives matter. Um, and we just, we really do just need to talk about it. Um, and I think what you said, Boogie, that this requires a lot of vulnerability. I think that we're not willing to go And if we are not open with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ of what our wounds are, um, we're not going to heal fully. Um, And so in in order to love one another well, we need to do this well. That's right. That's why I agreed. That's right. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah.
5: Hi, I'm Mike Horton. And I was... Oh, I grew up in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago, and I've really kind of stayed in Chicago all my life because Chicago is the most awesome city ever. Hey. And um, (laughs) I was hesitant to be on this just because I think I'm the only person here who is my. I'm a parent of a freshman in high school, so the last the things that have been happening over the last few years kind of coincide with have coincided with this age almost exactly.
0: Mm.
5: So um, a lot of this has made me feel really intensely about um, racial reconciliation and relations. And um, there's just sometimes I don't even know how this will get resolved, but i'm exactly i'm here to talk about this because you know god is fixed i mean in my i think everybody's had that experience where god has fixed stuff like i don't even know how you go about fixing this i don't even know about how you go about healing this and then god just works so okay. that's my prayer that happens now okay
0: thank you thank you anybody else
6: okay, okay. hey everyone uh, my name is victoria williams um, I've been having a lot of conversations with minority young leaders in the business community about mm. how do we address these issues in the workplace. Mm. Um, and working in startups and other predominantly uh, white dominated, male dominated fields, I have not felt comfortable enough to really truly address these issues in the workplace. So, my feeling for being on this panel is that while well, if I start here, it gives the opportunity for all of you to take this back to your workplaces um, and to create change in those areas so that you can help your colleagues who are black throughout the day and for all the things that mm-hmm. they've experienced and just so you can see a little glimpse of how difficult it can be um, in your places of work.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. By the way, if you guys hear anything that you appreciate, let them know, all right? Okay. Let's just jump right in. What thoughts and feelings come to mind when you hear the phrase, Black Lives Matter?
3: Um, For me, when I first heard the phrase and became kind of aware of the social justice movement around Black Lives Matter, I was like, Finally, you know, I was just really um, exhilarated by the idea that um, there was a new iteration of a movement for black liberation that called, um, that illuminated the fact that there is continual racial injustice in our society. So I was, you know, really Internally, very excited about it and um, as you as you may know it, it, it's more than just a social um, media hashtag it's a real organization of people who are fighting for social justice and again for black liberation but it also Black Lives Matter to me is kind of like a, a mantra it's a reminder um, Misty said that you know that black lives do matter, and so, in some ways, it's kind of a um, kind of an acclamation and a re, you know a, a point of pride and um, something to make me feel affirmed mm, 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 in mm. my life. Mm, mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? <clears throat> um,
5: I just wanted to quickly just say I felt I felt it was an act of Mm defiance almost, where it's just kind of like, you know, given the history of how things have happened, like it was finally somebody saying enough, you cannot treat us this way,
0: Mm -hmm.
5: you know, given the history of the country. That's about it. Okay, yeah, anybody
0: else?
1: Oh, go ahead. Um, It's interesting because, you know, as you were saying, the first thing that came to mind, and it's good that you shared next, when I first heard Black Lives Matter, I felt frustration because it, it, it couldn't even, I, I like they use the word defiance because it felt like it couldn't even rise. Um, immediately, just immediately, even just the affirmation can't sit. Um, and that is really, that. it's so hard to not pair the two, to just to get to hold the Black, Life, Black Lives Matter has been hard um, because it feels like um, we can't sit in the affirmation while you know, I personally feel constantly on the defense um,
7: yeah.
1: and explaining. And um, so I, I, that's, you know, I feel that when I'm in community with my other black brothers and sisters, and the first time I heard it actually was through um, a march, I think, that we heard about... From Newcom, and they were singing. I didn't know there was a whole song. There's a whole song. You guys, and I was like, "Black class Matter." It's good. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, "Yes, I'm feeling this song. Like, this is amazing." There's there's verses, y'all. That's how we do. Um, but yeah, so that was my my reaction. Okay. Anybody
8: um, else? My my reaction has evolved. I think um, certainly. Um, the, the initial aspect of it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Steve Sims. I grew up in a small town in West Virginia. Um, and I'll answer another question. Part of why I agreed to do this panel is because I, I see in myself and in my story kind of the uh, best and worst of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so wanted to talk about that a little bit in that I am very aware of some of the opportunities that do exist um, for people in this country. And I've had... Tremendous blessings, and I'm very well aware of that. But at the same time, I realize that I'm one of the people that. Um, sometimes is used to say, well, there's no racism in this country. Look at what you've accomplished. And I'm like, well, I was there. <laughs> and, and I know what it felt like to be in those spaces and how much more difficult it was for me than even my classmates because I was facing things they weren't facing. And so um, when I hear uh, Black Lives Matter, yeah, there's definitely the initial affirmation and the, yes, finally, someone is allowing some space for us to talk about this. And I reflect on the history of it all. I'm an African American history major. Um, and even though I I went to med school and I'm a physician now, but, um, that history, um, really made me reflect on just the reality that we live in a country that codified the idea that no black person had rights that white people were bound to respect. Mm -hmm. And if you think about like we as a country actually said that as law, you have to understand that to understand why people say, well, wait a minute, our lives do matter. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I always want to place that in the historical context of all the things that have happened and, and, and say, it is about some defiance, but it's, you know, it's also about what actually happened that led to people saying, we have a need to say this.
6: Yeah, yeah. Just, uh,
0: go ahead, Victoria.
6: Just to go off of that, you know, talking about laws, right? Slavery, obviously a huge thing means a lot, but it didn't end with slavery and understanding all of the legal implications from anything from voting to housing to education. Like if you look at every aspect of the way that our government operates, it was never built to allow us to succeed. Um, And so just like taking that and realizing like this is a continuing thing. It's not a point in time of something that stopped 250 years ago. It's something that has continued to today.
7: So, I'll just add uh, one thing to what they've said. Uh, Hi, my name is Tim, Uh, grew up in Waukegan, Illinois, and I agreed to do this because I think it's necessary. Hmm. Um, To add to what they say, uh, what they're saying, because when I first heard Black Lives Matter, honestly, I don't watch a lot of TV, so I didn't really know what it was. (laughs) Um, Just in in, in terms of the actual movement, I get the point of what it's saying, Uh, based on experience, but I I really didn't know what it was. And as I started listening, I kind of heard more about, okay, what, how, how this started. Um, But one thing I'll add to what they say, uh, because I think this comes up a lot. Um, I, I, I agree with what the statement means. This, and I think everybody else would agree, this does not mean that we advocate every single faction or every single, Uh, rhetoric that comes out of someone claiming black lives matter it doesn't mean that we agree with every single thing people are doing um, because there are some that are not acting righteously and we would condemn those actions so I do want to say that even though we're saying we affirm black lives matter it does not mean that we agree with every single thing that certain individuals are choosing to do does that make sense
1: The one thing I want to say, I really want to I'm so glad you said that, Um, I think I'm so glad that everyone, because I haven't even heard where everybody's from, Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing if I want anyone and everyone to take away is that just like others, um, our blackness is nuanced. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. We
1: are nuanced and Mm -hmm. complex people. We are not all the same. Mm-hmm. We don't all believe the same thing. We don't mm-hmm. all eat the same thing. <laughs> we are nuanced, ones, okay? Um, and that's what I think. That was, that was specific. very specific. <laughs> yes, okay. I just, I may, I don't know, I might today. I'm not sure. Um, I'm just being vigorously honest. But I think that um, if there's anything that you, you take away, if you don't remember, you're confused, whatever. Whatever happens, let the Holy Spirit work with you. But just remember, we are complex, we are nuanced. That's why we're here.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 And just to add that, and you can, you can go on to the next thing. For me, the whole Black Lives Matter. By the way, you guys know I'm Carlton. I'm from Rockford, Illinois. i was born and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, why did it even have to get to this point? Right, amen. Why did we even have to get to this point? Or we have to say, our lives matter. Now, I'm like Tim, I'll be the first to say, we don't always get it right, we as black people. I don't speak for everybody. Carlton, Carlton doesn't always get it right. But I know that no life is worth taking. That much I know. So sometimes I'm pissed when I see people protesting Black Lives Matter and I see the hashtag that pisses me off because why did we have to get here? Mm-hmm. Have we so much disregard for human life in and of itself that we can just pick people off like that? So I'm typically angry when I see it. I
0: know.
2: I am. I am. I know. Because it's a reminder. I know. Part of wrestling
0: for Some of us is grasping this concept of systemic or institutional racism. There's a response that says, but I'm not because I personally don't have feelings X, Y, and Z. Can you help us understand, wrap our minds around what systemic, institutional racism looks like? sounds like, feels like, and the ways that it's impacted every fabric of our culture and our society.
6: I have like one small piece to say on this because I'm not from Chicago, so I don't feel like I can truly deeply explain some of the policies that have happened in the city that have created such a racial divide and subsequently all of the problems that you see. Um, and I say this with love and care, but if you look right now across the country, you see this heroin epidemic that's happening um, in suburbs everywhere. And the response has been, how can we get these people help? How can we do needle replacement programs? Can we keep them out of jail and get them therapy? Can we work with them? Oh my goodness, it's really terrible. And I agree with all of those things. Um, But when crack and cocaine were entered in black communities, nobody cared. So when you look to things like that and you see the differences in the way that people react, um, that's, that's what it is. That's the system right there.
2: When you're, ch- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael.
5: Sorry. I was going to say, well, some of the systemic things that come out of Chicago are just in the history of Chicago. But it's not just Chicago. It's all the major cities in America. I mean, look at where we decide to put our expressways and how they divide up the city and how they divide up neighborhoods. Um, Like I know, like in Atlanta, there's just, I mean, in Atlanta, I forgot which insurance company was, but like your car insurance is higher just because you live around a bunch of black people. And that's it. I mean, so, there's a, I mean, to explain systemic racism, we'd be up here like, do we have a week, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's just, I mean, I could, give, I could give example after example, but I mean, one of the ways that I think really gets to the root of it is that we've treated, like we've treated racism as a moral failing when it is not, hmm. exactly. It's just a matter of being born here, hmm. no matter who you are. And, yeah, there's certain people like, well, I mean, yeah, I understand what the privileges are, and I don't want them but does it matter if you want them or not?
3: Um, I want to take a stab at this uh, about talking about systemic racism. Um, I think very rarely uh, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, or social justice, black liberation, am I really ever talking about individual racism? Because we live in a free country, people can have whatever rights... Um, thoughts or beliefs that they want. I might not agree with them, but I believe that you have the right to believe what you wanna believe, even if you are an individual racist. Most of the time, I'm talking about, when I talk about racism, I am talking about systemic racism. So for me, there really isn't a difference between racism and systemic racism. Um, So racism, for me, really is, it is a social thing. It is a systemic thing. It, it is a system. And, and I believe Michael Emerson talked about this really well the other week, um, that systematically privileges some people and disadvantages another group of people all based on race. And so that isn't something that you as an individual actually have the power to do. It's something that's socially constructed that we all participate in and so I'm interested in dismantling
4: that um, so something I wanted to add was um, you know I think of you know prejudice plus power right it's it's um, the power component I think is so significant and you know it kind of it, it, it kind of it can be overt examples um, like that were, that were given the most recent is um, you know a black woman went to a bank to architect went to the bank to cash a check and they didn't believe that she could make so much money um, a black woman doctors on the plane and she the guy was dying and they wouldn't let her save him because they didn't they want a real
2: doctor a real, they want doctor. A real
4: doctor right um, and I'm a, I'm a therapist um, I, also, I grew up in Inglewood California if everyone follows football it's where they built the new Ram Stadium not a fan mm. of it that's a different conversation um, <laughs> um, um and so I grew up around people of color, um, most of my life and now at work, I'm in a mostly white space and it kind of looks like, you know, race wasn't really talked about until I got hired there six months ago. Mm. I have become the person who's constantly thinking about wanting to talk about always trying to incorporate that in our groups. And my supervisor has been, she's white and she's been great about listening and and also sharing, like, I don't want you to have to carry the space all the time, but who will? Mm -hmm. No one in this space will openly do it unless I do it. And that's, I mean, the job that I do is rigorous. I work with teenagers with severe depression and anxiety. I have to keep kids alive every day on top of Mm -hmm. having to make sure that they're racially, culturally safe and making sure everyone else can like competently talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, are you joking? And so that's also systemic racism where you get to go to work and you don't have to talk about this. You don't have to bring it up. You see your black coworker and it's like, well, I can make a choice not to talk about it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, where your black coworker could be struggling that day and you wouldn't even know. Uh And so when I know when the shootings happened, I came to work, no one said a word to me mm-hmm. about, and I had, I had a reaction to it, and I remember feeling I was like, oh I 'm having a tough day today." And no one was like, it was like, "Oh." and it 's kind of like, "Well, all right, <laughs> so I have to sit with this on top of my, my work expectations. so that 's also systemic racism where you know black people basically have to like champion to like be like the cultural warrior. In, the, in mostly white spaces, and yeah. that's unfair. Yeah, I wanted
5: to follow yeah. up on that, I'm sorry. But yeah, I've heard about that a lot, especially when ch- the Charleston shootings happened, where you know, people would be kind of like at their desk when they found out about it, right. and just be really upset, and then their coworkers would be like, well, what's wrong, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, everything. and it's just like, you couldn't even answer them. It's like everybody knew what happened but it like, didn't occur to people that the people who were upset about it would be upset. You know. So it kind of this kind of intersects with white privilege. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think that just the, the basic thing with that is just the ability to be able to tap out. Yeah. Like, yes. I, yeah. Yep. And we're like, you know, to tap out when, like, I can't like all of these things well, this this is uncomfortable and I don't like hearing about it and you know why do we have to talk about this well so I'm not going to and then I'm just going to have well so on my side of things it's like well I'm going to have to sit with this I'm going to have to sit with the fact that like this happened it feels like a real tragedy but like you know most of the people like I work with and most of the people I see every day just are kind of like yeah let's not deal with it
0: let's let's go there when Mike said I don't want to step on you because they have a list of potential questions I was going to ask them one of the things that I wanted us to talk about was white privilege and it's a concept that some folks struggle with a lot help us out here what is from your perspective, white privilege, what does it look like? Why is it so destructive? Why is it so harmful? Why is it so hard for some of us to come to understand, grasp it?
8: Well, that's a lot. Um, I think one of the reasons it's hard for people to understand is, as we've alluded to, is it's not necessarily something that you asked for. And so Mm. I, I get why people struggle with, well, I'm in this space, but I didn't do anything to make this happen, and so what, I should give it up. Um, And and, and I I appreciate that, I I do hear that. Um, But this election season has, has, I think, been a masterclass for many of us. (laughs) Um, If you're struggling to know what it looks like, it looks like Mm -hmm. someone saying, Mm -hmm. and this is not just white privilege, this is white male privilege. If I lose, that means you cheated.
2: Mm Or saying anything you want to and nobody's saying anything about it.
8: Right. Or agreeing with you. <laughs> like you have people co-sign this idea that it's not possible that you could fair and square lose. Mm-hmm. And as, as Michael Emerson talked about, you know, it, 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 it's a society that's built to say these are the winners that we have chosen. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be in the group of chosen winners, I get that's not your fault, but you do have to, you have a responsibility to at least recognize that that's the group in which you live. Mm-hmm.
2: There used to be this phrase. There used to be this phrase th- that my cousins would say when I was when I was young. I grew up um, uh, as a, as a musician, as a singer, as a, a keyboard player, drum and bugle corps. I grew up around a lot of a lot of white a lot of white kids. Okay, and uh, and and my parents were very intentional about that. My cousins were not so much the same way, and so they would always say that phrase, "White because you got to be right," and and as a kid, as a kid, I didn't really get it as a teenager. I almost didn't get it. It wasn't until my late twenties, my early thirties, when I really started to realize what white privilege looked like and how, um, how toxic and how destructive it was. And I'm an operations manager for, uh, for, for a gas company. Um, Most of the people I work with are white, okay? And I love them. I do. I love... I don't have issues with the color of your skin. I really don't. But anytime something goes down, it almost seems as if um, nobody ever thinks of the white people. I mean, nobody ever says, so he dropped the ball or... Did, I mean, it happens. It happens in my old white boys' club gas company. I see it, I see it all the time. And to piggyback off that work thing, like, I don't want to be the ambassador of all things right. black. Right. I don't want to have to do that. I, I really, I, yeah, I'm unqualified for that. <laughs> I really am. But, he, but here's the thing here's the thing. If you take me there, I'm going to go there with you. Right.
4: We're going to go together. We, we are going
2: together. We go together. going together. We're going together. Because, because the truth is, and thank God for my mom and my pops and my grandparents and growing up around all those white people, I have this insane ability to almost be not chameleon-like, but I can talk to everybody. Like, that's just the way I am. Those who are closest to me know this. Mm-hmm. But I will get you right together if you say to me, if you say something stupid to me like, well, we just weren't there, Carlton, so we don't know exactly why he was shot. Don't say that to me. Oh don't say that to me because I'm going to call you out and I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. Yeah, that, sh- that is that white privilege thing where you would say, well, I don't know. that It, it doesn't look like that. There's no racism in the country. Really? How does that happen? How do we get there? You know, so anyways, pisses me off. Um,
4: sorry. So I'm going to talk about colorism in the black community for one minute because it's connected. Um, so like I said, I grew up in Inglewood and mostly, um, black, Latino, um, and some Pacific Islander, um, growing up, people asked me if I'm mixed all the time, um, because I have hazel eyes and I'm light skinned and whatever else. And God bless my parents. They didn't know any better. Um, they didn't stop people when they would say, Oh, I love, like, are you mixed? You're so beautiful. Like your eyes. And, and I thought I was some kind of special black. (laughs) Because, oh, no, because people look at my, with my good hair and my hazel eyes and like, oh, are you, mi-? and so one, that's the problem, number one, do not ask me that, I'm not telling y'all now, do not ask me that question, one, mm. I don't like it. Um, I am black and that's it. Um, because one, you're, you're insinuating that I cannot have these features by being black. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, two, yeah, my grandmother on my mom's side is biracial um, and so, and she doesn't know her parents' history because, um, they left her on a doorstep of a church in North Carolina in 1934 because they couldn't have her. So I don't even know my family. Um, and so I grew up with this internalized racism of like, well, black people just need to do this and black people just need to do that. And, you know, I thought, again, I was some kind of unique black because I looked different. Um, because I was mixed with white or whatever, um, what I, which I'm not because both my parents are black. Fast forward, I went to Howard University in DC, all black college, um, and that changed my entire life um, because it made me, it had to con- I had to confront my identity as a black woman, and I had to confront all the internalized racism that I had grown up with, and that I was treating people that looked like me, treating myself poorly. Um, because I thought I had to reach some kind of standard to be accepted mm-hmm. by white people, by mm-hmm. people who didn't look like me, by people who rule this country. Um, fast forward in 2012, I moved here. Um, oh, excuse me, 2010, I moved here, went to Northwestern for grad school, just where I met Buki. Um, and Howard prepared me for Northwestern because that's when I would get, Oh, I like, cause if you guys know me, I wear my hair out with this big curly fro, whatever. Oh, I like your hair better straight. Um, And it's like, hmm, okay. So I started noticing a lot of things. And what I noticed, I started to notice is uh, the rampant shame and guilt white people have when confronted with white privilege. Um, Because, and I understand the shame of like, I don't want you to think I'm a bad person. I don't want you to think that I don't understand. But shame is not an excuse not to be accountable. And so you can feel shame, that's fine. Like, okay, <laughs> Like it, it, it makes sense, your shame makes sense. Um, and you can, because, right, I mean, and so it's like the dialectics of it all. You can hold this, you can hold shame and be accountable at the same time. It's not black or white. And because we live in such a black and white society, we don't make space to hold Different complexities in the same space, so that we can wrestle with them. So I would encourage you, white folks in the audience, that I, you can. Uh, I understand your shame and I understand your guilt, um, and I hear it and I validate it. And please listen. Please don't use it as an excuse and start talking about how you feel so bad when I bring this up. Because now we feel like we have to caretake you for the rest of the conversation, and that is unacceptable. <sighs>
5: Yeah, real quick. Okay, I won't follow up on colorism, but what I will just to, just a further discussion. Somebody mentioned like the shootings and everything, and how well you have to take this. A lot of feedback that I get from white people I know is like, well, I look at each case, one case at the time, at a time, and my response is, why do you do that? <laughs> because you know, I mean, it's it's in the aggregate, it's pretty clear you know, and that's all, but that's a thing, that's a system, and I I just wonder what that, that is where, okay, well, when there's a discussion about how racism is systemic, how then sometimes the answer is, the reply is to take one example at a time, like on this endless conveyor belt, instead of just kind of like, well, add these up here, <laughs> add these up here, there's a problem. So, I think that's, that's, I don't know if that's privilege, I don't know what that is, honestly. <laughs> but um, I don't know, I mean, there's a lot where we discuss and it seems like there's um, a lot of the onus is on, <clears throat> well, we're gonna discuss racism now, so hey, black people, how do you fix this? And I'm kind of like, we're not the ones acting crazy towards black people, so I don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, so, I mean, that's just kind of,
0: i
6: two things um, as we talk about white privilege, and I'll extend that to Asian privilege as well, given mm. where we are. Mm. Um, I think that if you look at that particular minority group, um, there are still many, many, many stereotypes that are different. Um, and I think what's interesting, particularly looking at. Korean, Japanese, Chinese Americans get the stereotype of you know being overly smart, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think it's equally as important to realize what that privilege gives you. Um, that there are your own challenges that you face as Asian Americans, um, but that does not exempt you from being a part of this conversation. Um, one thing that I think is helpful for women to think about is that Think about you and your workplace, people who look down on you, people who second-guess you, people who just don't believe you because you're a woman, people who say, well, maybe it's because you're emotional, maybe it's just because you don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's people who don't think that you are a manager or a doctor or a lawyer Mm -hmm. or whatever because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Think about that and kind of use that to understand a section of what it's like to be black. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at white privilege, for me, it's not about necessarily like the racial profiling, but it's the daily microaggressions that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And they add up. Yep. Like, sometimes I don't mind when someone's following me around the store. Sometimes I don't mind when someone refuses mm-hmm. to serve me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't mind when I get questioned at work and when something <laughs> goes wrong, people automatically look at me crazy. Um, But it's those things that happen day in and day out, and it's the conversations that we have with family members. It's when you hear about black shootings being worried for your family, for being concerned. Like, I have cousins that are teenagers. So, like, you're talking about, like, like, that is something, like, I am worried that my 16-year-old cousin who is learning to drive is going to get pulled over and get killed. I worry daily about my boyfriend that who, as a six-foot-tall, dark black man, people look at him suspiciously and might be scared of him. It's a conversation when Sandra Bland, I'm not sure if you know, this was a couple years ago, um, in Texas got pulled over for some crap reason, ended up in jail, and supposedly committed suicide, it's the conversation with my mother that I had to have of saying, hey, mom, if this happens to me, I didn't commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I want to live. I want to be here. And I promise you that don't let anybody ever tell you that that wasn't the case. But the idea that, like, me and my mom had to have that conversation, like, that's what white privilege is, because those aren't conversations that you're having with your parents. Right.
4: Right. Um, and yeah, that meant, and it makes me think about my, my 24 year old brother who, um, you know, lives in South Los Angeles and was pulled over for five or six years ago. My, he drives a 1990 BMW and the police officer asked him if that was his car. I have never heard him so upset. I've never been so hurt cause I couldn't, I wasn't there to love on him. Um, I've had heard my mom have conversations with him about, because he used to live in Texas with her, of like, we live in Texas. You are a black boy in Texas. This is what you need to know. You guys are not having these conversations with your kids. Every time there's a shooting, I think about my father. I think about my brother. I think about all the black men in my life who could be, I could be next. Buki could be next. Anybody could be next. Like And I I hate feeling like, who's next? Who's next? Because no one's off the table at this point.
1: I know you wanna move on. Let me just, let me make it plain. Let me make it plain, let me make it plain. Um, Cause we're talking a lot about the context, um, the things that are happening. That's that's hard for people. People can ch- check out of that, right? I loved the, the tap out. Coming here every Sunday to new community um, is concerning to me. I'm almost 30 years old. Um, I come here and I say, who could be my partner? Oh, wait. No one's ever approached me. No one's ever seen me. No one's ever been interested, okay? That coming here every Sunday, I give up the opportunity to go to an African church down the street where I'm seen, um, where people are interested, um, where the potential to be desired is, to partner, to live out the things and the dreams that I hoped for um, could happen. And I really wonder sometimes, you know, because not like I come to church, I mean obviously I come to church for Jesus because hello, (laughs) I need to. It's too (laughs) much. It's just too much. Um, But making the active choice to come here makes me wonder if I am making choices for my life that are okay for me. This is my church that I love. Mm. This is where I feel at home. Mm. But because I live in a world where I'm not sure if I'm seen or desired, mm. where I just don't think white people really like me, I come here and I, I just don't know. And I think, Buki, is this, is, this is this a wise choice? Do you really think you should keep coming here? Mm-hmm. You know? And then, let me make it real plain, okay? Because I'm very, se- I'm very serious about singleness, okay? Because it's been going on for a hot minute and I'm all right with that. Me just worked it out. Let me make it real plain. This, is, this happened to me two Saturdays ago, okay? Because the city is segregated. When people talk about white privilege, it's the day to day, all right? I'm, I, be, I wanna sleep in on Saturdays, okay? Just like everybody does. But guess what, my Nigerian friends who wanna run, they all live south loop and south of the city. So now, and then we have one who lives almost up in Skokie. We gotta drive all the way to Hyde Park so we could run because that's the midpoint, all right? Then, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a church conference. Oh, okay, so now Buki drives back to Logan Square. Now, at night, I wanna hang out with my friends, my Asian friend and my other really good friend who lives in Skokie. Now I'm going to Skokie. Okay, but wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Now, at night, there's an African concert that's back in Hyde Park. That is what privilege looks like. I am tired, y'all, because I'm driving back and forth and back and forth because there is no middle ground. We can't go to no concerts in Logan Square because Africans don't come there. This is the real stuff like you guys don't know. It is exhausting. And then even yesterday, I was like, you know what? All right, you know, I'm going to be at church on Sunday. What am I going to do on Saturday? I'm like, okay, well, let me go. Again, we get up to do our extra early morning runs. I'm going South Loop. Then I have to come back to the, the African church. I'm going back to Jesus' house. You know, then come, you know, it's, this is my, this, these are my weekends. And, it, and I think one of the things that's hard for people is like, well, they're like, well, my weekends are tiring too. But it's not based on race. That's the challenge. Yes, you we absolutely we all go through the same things of balancing and managing our lives, mm-hmm. but these specific challenges that i 'm having are based on race they 're based on assumptions that I've also internalized because sure, maybe there 's a white boo up in here i mean i ain 't seen it yet, but like i said i 'm open to it. Um, sure, maybe, but I also don 't really believe you know. I don't really believe I'm like, mm, I, and, and that's the thing, right? Because when people acknowledge you, when people speak to you, when you're in community with people, you actually then start to believe, yeah, maybe it could be, but in, like I said, I ain't seen it yet. So I, that's my challenge. Yeah. I want to see it. I'm looking for it.
0: I want to, Keisha, before, before you speak, um, I wanted to end the time, i let you you should speak and then, and then I wanted to end the time we could be here for hours but I want end the time with this question and you could choose one or the other and uh, I want to give as many opportunities for folks to be able to speak and the questions are one is um, a way forward for us as a church community I mean Bookie's getting to some of this stuff but as a as a church community this place that you call home what does it mean for us as a collective community to move forward in being truly a kingdom embodying community or the other and or the other way to ask that question is um, for you in what ways Are you empowered by Jesus and the gospel? Like, what is enabling you to not give up and continue the journey? Okay? So you could pick one or the other question. And I wanted us to be able to kind of wrap this time up together. So,
5: I think my answer is just, I mean, my answer is the future. I mean, it's just, it's as simple as being a parent, right? Where... I mean, there's just, and as far as the church goes, it's just having the Holy Spirit work through us so that we actually get to know each other, <sighs> that we know each other's lives, right? Mm. So, mm. I'll start. So, I mean, as far as, as long as we're talking about this, like, I mean, we can talk about, like, systemic stuff, this stuff, that stuff. Mm. But for me, mm. like, what I deal with is, I mean, I live in Villa Park. I come here from the Burbs. The next, the next, the town next door to me is Elmhurst, and that's about as diverse as a bag of marshmallows. <laughs> and, and and that's the nearest. I mean, and that's the nearest YMCA to my house, right? So my son just gets on the prairie path, and he bikes down the prairie path and goes a little east, and then just cuts north to the YMCA. And like any day that happens, this is what I think could happen, right? I could say somebody looks outside their door and says, hey, I pay a lot of money to live in Elmhurst. I pay a lot of money not to see black people. (laughs) That's real. He's suspicious. And then the police get called. And then who knows what happens. Anytime he wants to go work out. And it's really hard for me to reconcile how people can, how people see him that way when, He's fourteen. He's an inch taller than me, and he's like almost two hundred pounds. But like, wants to nuzzle against me and almost pushes me out of the chair at night. You know. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why people think that that human being is a threat. And it and that's what I deal with, just kind of like every day. But you know, I mean. God works, right? So
4: yeah. got believe God works: mm-hmm.
5: I mean, it's just things can get better. He does not have to deal with the same things I dealt with yeah. when yeah. I was 14, because it can be better, yeah. mm-hmm. and that just keeps me going.
0: Anybody else? What keeps you going? what's our path forward for our church
5: community?
3: I I have a lot of responses to Buki, but I'm gonna give them to her offline. I got married at 36 Mm -hmm. and I just wanna share with you all who might not have completely understood a part of where she was coming from. Um, And it really kind of underscores this idea that every part of our lives is touched by race. Even if you're not a, a person of color, as a white person, race, touches every part of your life. But black black women are the most unmarried married people in our society. And so when you talk about singleness in the church, I know we talk about singleness in the church, it has a specific iteration for African American women. So we just need to be mindful about those things in our one-on-one efforts to Mm. build community with one another. Don't erase the race issue Mm. when you are communing and Mm -hmm. and understanding, building relationship and loving people of all different um, races and ethnicities. Think about how their experience and identity plays into what you are building with them.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. My Mm -hmm. hope for us as a church Mm. is that we believe in the gospel, Mm. that we believe that everyone who's sitting here under the sound of my voice is made in God's image and his likeness. And if we can love those that are made in God's image and likeness, I think that we will be on the road to where we need to Mm. go.
7: So I think there's what keeps me going is the the hope I see in Jesus is because Jesus stepped down into a real, a real hot mess. Uh, especially when you understand the tensions between Jew and Gentile, uh, you're talking about some race issues. Um, and he stepped into the midst of that. And so when scripture talks about him breaking down the wall of separation, I mean, that's not a cute statement. I mean, it was, you're talking about real issues. Um, and, and so in terms of the way forward, I think, I think for all of us to start where we are, uh, look at your family, look around you, look at the decisions that you make on a daily basis, where you choose to live, who you hang out with, uh, and and think about who's missing and why are they missing. Um, The places you you eat, all of those things uh, make up just the daily choices and and why we go where we go. Why we live in a certain place. And to ask the question, uh, if Tim is with you, think about the places you go to, Uh, and if Tim White comes with you mm. would he be welcomed mm-hmm. and so think about things like that because I mean that that's part of the privilege uh, and the question we have or have to ask or I would say the mental gymnastics we always have to play mm. uh, whenever we go especially me as a black male when I go places you know especially it's cold outside I got my big coat on I got my my, my skull cap on and you know Walking into stores, mm. and I have to think. Now, this may not be the case, but I still have to question is this place for me? Mm-hmm. Once again, that may not be, people might be cool with me, mm. but th- those are the mental gymnastics I have to work through yeah. when I go into a place. Yeah. When I see a police officer, is the cop for me? I just say, and nothing may, may not even happen, but I have to ask those questions. And as a man, you know, I'm 34 years old. I still have my dad's words playing in my, in my head when I was a kid. And he would always say, son, so when you go into these places, keep your hands out of your pockets. Be, you know, make sure, watch what you're doing, where you are. I, I'm a, as a grown man, I still have that tape playing in my mind. Mm. What I'm doing with my hands. Mm. What? <laughs> so... I think that's the way forward. It's just jumping into different our experiences as a family, and and don't push it off too. Especially if somebody shares that with you. Uh, I think the dismissive part. I think that's what's painful to say. Oh no, it couldn't have been that Tim. I'm I'm sure. Right. You know, really, it's like to say, okay, I I would I would challenge you to investigate. Mm -hmm. You know, why is that? Is there validity to what he's saying? Um, So I think that's the way. That's the way forward. And also too. If you're about Christ and the gospel, you know your friends, you know family members, you know the jokes, you hear the statements. Mm. It's time to start speaking mm. up. So, yeah.
2: I'll, I'll say this in closing. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we move forward? You know, we've heard the gospel and, and this great thing that Jesus did, which was, which was die for our sins. And therefore there was that grace, right? Um, I heard a line in a song the other night that says sometimes there's a grace too powerful to name. And that is forgiveness. It hurts. But sometimes we have to do it. And I think that that's how we move forward. You know, I'm not trying to hold every white person accountable for what has happened. But if we could come together as brothers and sisters, I mean, really because the foot of the cross is level. And it was for everybody. You know, that, that blood that was red, that was shed, it was for all of us. And if we can keep that and move forward together, unified in our cause and in our mission, that is how we move forward together as a body. That's how we do it. Grace, compassion, loving, constantly forgiving. That is how we move forward. There is no I, there is no you. us together forward. That's how we do it.
0: Y'all, stand up with me. And can you guys, church family, fully recognizing that there's actually it's a disservice to try and end a time like this with a neat bow and saying we're done. I understand the discomfort, the unsettled feeling of we could be here for hours and continue and, and that's okay. That's okay. My hope and my prayer, as these brothers and sisters of ours have said over and over again, is that this would cause something in all of us something in all of us to begin for some of us the journey of venturing out and saying, tell me more. Tell me more. And for some of us that are just wrestling and really struggling with what we heard today, then my challenge and prayer for you would be that you would be alone with God this week and really ask in a time of prayer, what is that God? What what are you doing? Why do I feel uncomfortable? And don't brush it off. I didn't ask the folks up here for their permission so I need to tread very carefully when I say this, but at the end of this service, as we have the volunteer fair and other activities, I would urge some of us to approach some of the folks up here that shared, particularly felt the prompting by something that they said that stirred something. And again, I don't want to speak for them because they might not want to talk frankly to anybody today after doing this, but if they're willing that you would take opportunity to do that church before you head out of here. Father, we, um, as a church community, come and confess and acknowledge that this is messy, this is confusing, this is hard, this is difficult, this is needed, this is important. This is transformative, this is life-giving, it's all of the above. And Holy Spirit, I could only, I could only, I could only, I could only have hope, any hope that we as a church could move forward because of your living, breathing presence in and among us. This is beyond me. This is beyond any of us. We just confess that. We just acknowledge that right now. That we will fall flat on our faces were we to venture out and trying to do this on our own wisdom and strength and knowledge. So Holy Spirit of God, we ask, we desperately ask and pray that you as you lead us in every way that you would lead us individually and collectively in this difficult, messy journey. Help us to be sensitive to your voice and your promptings. And give us courage to respond in obedience, even if it feels uncomfortable. And when you call us to obey, We need you. You are our hope. You are our strength. You are our foundation. You are our anchor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Can you give these folks up here a big round of applause?